Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. You're here with your host, Technicia. Yes, I'm coming to you live from Blog Talk Radio. We'll be getting live up as well on um, Instagram. But at the moment, how is everyone doing? I hope everyone is having a beautiful, gorgeous day today. Um, And kids are almost finally out of school. One more day for mine. Congratulations to the class of 2018. Very proud of you guys. You did that, darling. Yes, you did. So congratulations to all of you. Now it's time to put in that work, get yourself off to college, get your mindset together. But right now, enjoy it. Definitely enjoy your summer. And good luck to all of us parents because I'm definitely going to try to enjoy mine by actually going crazy. But here with me today is Janetta Murata, Ph.D. She shares the lessons of her own healing journey through infertility and those of the women and men she has worked with to bring the teaching and practice of mindfulness to the challenge of fertility. After five years of repeated miscarriages, IVF, donor IVF, and failed adoption, she became the mother of a daughter through surrogacy. She is a clinical psychologist, published author, featured speaker, and workshop facilitator, and has specialized in area area of infertility since 1990. Dr. Murata is a graduate of Yale University and the University of Nevada, Reno, who has served on a regional board of Resolve, the National Infertility Organization, and worked as a staff psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at Stanford University. She is the founder of the Fertility Support and Mindfulness Program at Palo Alto Medical Foundation Fertility Physicians. Dr. Murata is a longtime practitioner of meditation and mindfulness and also the author of the book, 50 Mind for Self-Esteem, Everyday Practices for Cultivating Self-Acceptance and Self-Compassion. For more information about her work, you may visit her website, www.JanettiMurata.com. That's J-A-N-E-T-T-I-M-A-R-O-T-T-A.com. But without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Murata onto my show. Thank you so much, Dr. Murata, for being here. I appreciate you so much for taking out the time. Hi, Technicia. It's wonderful being on your program. Thank you. Thank you. And I not too long ago had another guest where we was talking about infertility, so it's amazing how this all coincides so well together. I'm glad that you ladies such as yourself come forward and talk about these issues because women are afraid to talk about things like this. We're, we're, we've shown away from topics of this, so we think people come to judge us. So I, I really do deeply appreciate you for telling us your story. Thank you. Absolutely. So uh, I would love to ask, what brought you forth to want to tell your story of this and not shown away from the truth? Well, it was the most significant thing that's ever happened to me in my life. It was definitely the hardest. 
And uh, after going through, you know, everything that you were talking about in your description about me, uh, the miscarriages, IBF, donor IBF, adoption, surrogacy, all this was about a six-year experience. What I find, found was that it really transformed for me, you know, in a lot of um, very important and positive ways. And um, I decided to change out of the field that I was in, in clinical psychology, which was chemical dependency, and specialize in infertility. Um, it had a powerful impact on me, and I felt that uh, there was a great need for it, and that people really needed to have a way of dealing with this and working through it. So um, that's that, be, that really became my life work for the last 20 years. Oh, wow. What, what exactly is mindfulness? So um, mindfulness is, is simply being aware of what's happening right now without wishing it was different. Uh, so not trying to hold on to it when it's pleasant uh, because it will change or trying to get rid of it when it's unpleasant, unpleasant because it's that way, it, it won't change. And so mindfulness is, is really about surrendering to the way things are, are as they're happening. Um, so there's three things in life that we need to be in harmony that mindfulness teaches us. Um, and these are what's called uh, by the Buddha the three characteristics of reality. And one is that life is difficult. It inherently has suffering, but we resist it. And it's our resistance that adds to the suffering. So mindfulness teaches us to be with it as it is and work with it. Uh, the, the second uh, truth that we need to be in harmony with is that everything changes. Nothing remains the same, but we we uh, we try to hold on to things in a, in a way that um, because it keeps us feeling uncertain and insecure. And so mindfulness teaches us how to ride the waves of change. And then the third one is that we tend to take life personally and identify with what's happening. And mindfulness has a neutral lens, so it teaches us how to, um, in a sense, not get in our way. And um, and out of a way of not personalizing it, um, not resisting it, we can then... Um, notice how we're relating to the situation and try to change that as opposed to trying to change the situation itself. No, oh, makes perfect sense. A, a well, great concept, doctor. Um, with infertility being involved, how can mindfulness help those who are dealing with infertility? Well, um, you know, the main way that people cope is I, I call it um, control. So in other words, you know, you try hard, and so you put out the effort, and then it equals success. And in a lot of parts of life, that's the case. Um, you know, that's how we could do well on on tests, or you know, it's this sort of cause-effect relationship. Um, but with infertility, it's really known as a situation that you you don't really have control over the outcome. And so, the harder you try, it could be the more stuck that you become. And trying to exercise control in a situation where there's a loss of control only exacerbates that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And so mindfulness uses awareness as a way to be with what's happening. And, you know, as I was just saying, you focus not on 
trying to change the situation, in this case, trying to get rid of the infertility, but change how you're relating to it. You know, notice if you're, if you're getting in your own way with guilt and regret and um, all, these, all these ways where it just adds to our suffering. And the other things is that mindfulness is about being in the present. Infertility kind of focuses attention on the past and on the future, uh, future worry and fear, past regret and guilt. Um, mindfulness is this neutral attention and infertility does have a way of being personalized so that we identify with what's happening and it challenges kind of who we are as, as being a man or a woman. And so rather than infertility being a medical condition, it, it ends up becoming a definition of self. Um, and then there's this compulsion to, to try to fix yourself because you feel broken. And mindfulness is based on this concept of original goodness and, and what that means is that, you know, as we are, we're already whole and complete, even though we have different inadequacies and insecurities. Um, and then lastly, infertility is, is looking outside of us for success and validation for being okay. And that's, you know, that, we're, that we do achieve a pregnancy or, or have a live birth. Uh, and mindfulness focuses attention from the inside, and it's looking at you know, different qualities that you're cultivating, patience, acceptance, trust in yourself. Um, and it puts your attention in how you're working with your thoughts, how you're working with your emotions, your body. And so it's focusing on the relationship to the situation. So mindfulness, as I see it, is like a, just a, a, the perfect antidote for dealing with all of these issues that infertility presents. Right, in the beginning of Chapter 1, as you even mentioned as an infertile person, you and you know, you you have challenges to your own identity. It, it feels like, I guess, the world is judging you, as we, as I stated in the beginning, people view you differently. Oh, you're going through this issue. Are you really capable of being a mother? Are you capable of doing this and that? Those those ridicules come about. And as you said, you either have two choices. You're going to hide or you're going to run. But, of course, neither you actually came forth with all this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can you can get into a really um, – uh, you, you hold yourself back a lot because the world feels kind of threatening. You know, you go to the mall and it's filled with baby strollers and pregnant women and all this just can make you feel so bad. I mean, it puts, it puts what you want and can't have um, just right in your face. Um, there's all sorts of comments right, by people who try to be supportive, but it feels very minimizing, you know, when people will say stuff like, oh, um, you know, just take a vacation or, you know, relax, you know, just relax, it's going to be okay, or, oh, you know, you could always adopt. And, and all this, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with relaxing. And, you know, adoption isn't very easy. And so there's all sorts of ways where the out, outside um, can feel threatening right now you you talk a little bit about infertility um, even in the book as presenting a kind of a visual paradox what exactly do you mean by that um yeah so yeah I begin the book with you know the the, the paradox of infertility and then 
and then look right. at the paradox of mindfulness. So, yeah, the paradox of infertility is like those very qualities that you need the most, uh, uh, like patience and trust, um, are those very qualities that are least accessible. You get into this place of impatience and striving and, and you know, judging yourself. Um, and then there's the paradox of time that, you know, as infertility drags on month after month, Couples have less and less to give one another when what they need is more and more. Um, couples oftentimes have opposite ways of dealing with this. And you can end up feeling like you're on different sides of, of, of the game, you know, kind of in opposition with the other person. Um, and then, you know, despite an ever-increasing need for support and understanding, you might feel the urge to retreat further and further away from help. And this is what I was saying in terms of like family and friends. Um, and what I find is that, you know, people who go to like fertility clinics and it's expensive, it's demanding that, that the last mm-hmm. thing that they want to do is sort of open it up to then explore how they're feeling and, and, you know, how to work with themselves emotionally. So you, 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 you kind of, run away from, from help rather than, you know, encouraging it. Um, your career is threatened at a time when you need it the most for self-esteem and, and income. Fertility treatment is expensive. Uh, fertility is often a race against the biological clock. And so when you need to slow down, that's when you're expected to try harder and move faster. And then lastly, like what I was saying at the beginning, every doesn't equal success. And, you need to relinquish control when your instinct is to just like hold on for dear life. So there's all these opposing forces. Um, and the, and it is like the harder we try or the, the further we, we run away, the more isolated and the more, uh, you know, the more angst we can get into. Exactly. Um, Jeanette, I, I would love for you to explain, like, the, was it a toll on you during your marriage? Like, what what was it like for both of you to have to experience it together? Oh, it was extremely hard. Um, it it was uh, by far the most challenging time of our of our relationship. I was married for it's going to be thirty years this summer. Um, nothing has come close. Uh, I would say on the positive side that um, we learned how to kind of work through stuff that was really getting in the way. And so ultimately it made our relationship stronger. But, you know, we fell into pretty typical kind of male-female coping responses. And what I mean by that is that um, uh, men... Uh, typically, and this is, you know, this is just very generally speaking here. So there's certainly maybe people that, you know, it doesn't apply to, but generally speaking, when um, when you have an issue like infertility that challenges one's self-esteem because um, virility uh, for men is equal to um, like masculinity, and even if it's female factor, uh, it could feel you know, very threatened, threatening to men's uh, self-esteem, that um, when uh, self-esteem is threatened, then men will typically um, uh, sort of more uh, collapse in their emotions. 
And so um, they're, they're more likely to, to try to fix the situation or put themselves in situations where they feel competent. So they might work harder. They might get into, uh, like my husband, what he did was he worked even harder. He's already a, a hard worker. And he just sort of like immersed himself in work where he had more control. And then, and then he bike ride rode. And, uh, and so, and he, you know, he could feel sort of empowered doing that. Um, and so his emotional kind of terrain really got constricted. And for myself, um, as a woman, uh, women, uh, womanhood is oftentimes equated with motherhood and not being able to, to, um, uh, you know, get pregnant, to have a successful pregnancy. My self-esteem was very threatened. And again, this is very in general, but women will tend to feel overwhelmed or overcome by their emotions. And so, like, I wanted to, like, talk about what was happening all the time and, and uh, you know, and be able to kind of, you know, share the experience in a really kind of deep um, uh, and deep way and uh and so i just wanted to talk about it way too much and uh more profoundly than my husband did who wanted to sort of back up from it and kind of get away and so it you know it was like this push-pull for a lot of the time until we could figure out like how to kind of set set the stage so that i kind of backed up more and he came more towards me no, it's not an easy task. No matter how much we sit here listening to this, it's not. It's not easy. I mean, I and I know, like I said, you open up about it, but it's still like a struggle. Hey, I got to talk about this. I'm still going back through memory lane. Not an easy route, but I commend you on your bravery, just coming forth and being able to give other women this hope and let them know it's still hope out there. You can do this. You can still be a mother and still be great at it. Don't let anyone tell you no differently. Um, but we we talk a little bit about the mind, the emotions. What role do both of those play in the fertility process altogether? Well, um, there is there have been studies looking at, you know, what is the stress fertility relationship and, um, you know, uh, and, you know, it's important. So there's a question, you know, does stress cause infertility? Does infertility cause stress? And, and I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's important to look at the fact that there's no doubt that infertility is an extremely stressful situation and that um, what happens is that the more you're experiencing infertility, uh, the more stressed out you you are, and stress doesn't help any any um, situation, any any medical situation um, or anything you know that's happening in life. And so, um, back in 2015, there was this meta-analysis, and so basically what that means is they looked at all the studies that were really high-quality studies. There, you know, they had enough subjects, they had a good control group. There are 39 of these studies, and they looked at, okay, if there were psychological interventions um, in, uh, for these group, groups of people, um, uh, how, how did they fare in terms of did they feel less stressed? And also, um, 
was there a higher pregnancy rate? And what they found was that in the intervention groups, there, the, the, uh, the pregnancy rate was twice that of the control groups. Um, so uh, uh, what, they, what they determined from this is that, you know, we don't exactly know what is really happening physiologically, but that it does seem that reducing stress can really help. Now, uh, you know, obviously, if there's like block, block tubes, that's not going to make a difference. Um, if it's, um, you know, low sperm count and, and morphology issues, that's not going to be make a difference. But where there can be some help by reducing stress, um, it is seen that uh, oftentimes there's like a 40%, which quoted in a lot of these studies is a 40% pregnancy rate as compared to a 20% pregnancy rate without looking at what you can do to reduce your stress. My, um, what, um, how has your personal struggle with infertility made you a better doctor? Oh well, I would I would say that um being able to relate to people that I work with is huge. Uh I used to work in I mentioned the area of chemical dependency and I never had an addiction problem with uh, drugs or alcohol. And there was always a little bit of a disconnect uh, particularly from my uh my my patients who couldn't really see me as Really, like you know, if I if I've never had this problem, how can I really get where they're coming from, and what it's about? And um, and I think in the whole infertility experience that you know, for the most part, unless you've experienced infertility yourself, it's pretty hard to get it. I mean, you you do tend to to the, the general public does tend to minimize it. Um, uh, just wanting to uh, just want to cite some research again, and that is that there's been three or four studies that have found that the degrees of depression and anxiety for women with infertility is equal to patients with the diagnosis of cancer, HIV, and heart disease. And so this is a this is really a major uh, issue that has an impact in every area of your life and the coping that people typically use is very ineffective. Um, and that's what I was saying about control. And so when I talk to people um, and then, you know, share that, yeah, you know, I have my own uh, experience, they tend to see me as someone who they could, you know, in a sense, believe in because I have a daughter from surrogacy and it was, uh, in those days, it was traditional surrogacy. She's 23 uh, now. What that means is that it was the egg of the surrogate through artificial insemination. So I don't have a genetic connection with my daughter, and I didn't carry her. And so I can talk about, like, adoption and surrogacy. I could talk about letting go of the genetic tie because I did that. But I think that if, you know, if I and I could talk about IVF because I did that and donor IVF because I, I did that, and I could talk about, you know, the impact of, losing pregnancies because that happened for me. And so, you know, people really get that um, 
what I'm saying and I'm encouraging them to be able to open up and, and, and also let go of their preconceived notions about how to have a child, that since I did that, I'm not just talking out of the side of my mouth. Right. And this, because it's coming from a real person, and I mean, definitely, they, I mean, I, I can see them understanding where you're coming from. It only seems so real when it's coming from someone who actually went through it. Like I said, I could tell someone all day, do my research, but it's not the same as if you haven't been through it, you don't understand it. Um, now, can you give us some specific examples of mindfulness practices that people actually use to help them with fertility and maybe some more practices that you have used? Well, um, so what what I did do was um, after my own infertility experience, uh, a few years later I was introduced to mindfulness, and that's when I realized that mindfulness can really be helpful. Um, and, and, you know, as I was saying before, is like the perfect antidote. And so I started this um, program that I put people through in both groups and in, in individually in my private practice. And so it, it all starts with learning how to belly breathe. Belly breathe is just being sure that your breath is going all the way down so that when you inhale, mm-hmm. your belly expands, and when you exhale, your belly, con- you know, uh, contracts. And so that turns on the relaxation response. And so that very first practice is teaching people to, you know, to let their their breath get all the way down into, in, 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 as far down as, you know, so that, that you can see the belly going in, in and out. Um, and to, to be in that state throughout the day. So there's all these practices to kind of, to train the brain to go, the, the the breath to go to where it naturally is supposed to go, but we get into this conditioned breathing thing and we for, forget about how to breathe naturally. And then there's another practice. Um, uh, I, I'll talk about that super briefly. And um, and that mindfulness has a way of creating formal practices like meditation. So you, you can use your breath to anchor your attention, your body to get grounded in your body, uh, meditations to work with your thoughts, meditations to work with your emotions. And then there's also like these informal practices of how to bring mindfulness through the day. And so uh, one of them is that mindfulness teaches you to, to pause so you can get out of automatic re- reactivity. And so when you're going about and you notice that yourself, you're, you're uptight, you stop and then you take a few breaths, you know, take two or three belly breaths, and then you observe. And so you look at, okay, what am I thinking? And just say, okay, I'm thinking that, um, you know, I, I'm worried that I'm not going to get pregnant. And then you look at what, what your thoughts are and, you know, you're noticing anxiety, and then you observe how you're feeling in your body. And then you just put your attention in there. You try to, like, loosen up maybe breathe into and out from your heart, you know, kind of move your your neck around in circles, you know, make some motions and just bring relaxation into the body because if the body's relaxed, the mind will follow. So that's a a simple but very powerful um, exercise. I'm glad you gave us a few of those exercises and that should help people to begin their journey on this struggling path, um, 
ladies and whoever else is tuning in. This is a live show where we're interviewing Dr. Janetta Murata about infertility. Things that you need to know let you know there is no lost hope out there. So if you're tuning in or, and looking at the replay, please share with others. This is the value. Share with don't share with everyone on your timeline, but share with one who actually need to hear this. This is um, the message of them out here. Um, do you have do you have a specific memory of an outcome with a patient that you are exceptionally proud of or happy with? Um, did you say, do I have, could you repeat that again? Yes, ma'am. Do you have a specific memory of an outcome with a patient that you are exceptionally proud of or happy with that went through the same experience as yourself? Sure. So, uh, you know, what I found for myself is at a certain point, um, was that I believed that I would have a child um, if I opened up two options, um, and that is that if I let go of the absolute need that that I had to be genetically related to my child, and also if I let go, if I just let go of it, of it all, you know, that I could be open to adoption or open to surrogacy or, uh, you know, a donation. And um, so what I see in in so many patients is making that transition to, you know, to the assumptions and the expectations, first of all, you know, being able to get to pregnant, you know, when you want to, when you want to, in the way that you want to, and then, you know, really getting that, okay, it's not happening in the way that I expected, but, um, but, you know, there are other, there are other options here. And so, like in the book, when I get into third-party parenting, and third-party meaning in a donor or a sperm donor or, or a birth parent or a surrogate, it's towards the end of the book. So, you, you know, you've done a lot of work at that point to just be able to let go and be able to then move on and open up the territory. So that, to me, is it's always really inspiring to see people take that journey and move so that they could open up and eventually have a child. Oh, wonderful. And I know the experiences have been overwhelming for one. Are there a couple of couples or patients that you could probably point out that have been happy with the outcome? Oh, I've... I mean, I've been doing this work for, well, about 20 years now, maybe a little bit over. And um, uh, I, so many people who I uh, work with um, have children. I, I do want to say that sometimes what happens is that um, people will come into therapy or come into the groups not really sure that they you know that they either uh, want to have a child or that they want to continue treatment and uh and so then it's really actively choosing a child free free uh life but coming to that place of you know of of this is really what's important and honoring what's what's important so 
so many, I mean, hundred. I've worked with hundreds of people at this point, and uh, I know so many who have come to, you know, the, the place of either, you know, being happy uh, in with their life in terms of not having a child, uh, but hundreds who have children, and the children have come to them in all sorts of different ways. Mm. I'm smiling. This is this is wonderful to listen to this, and I know just see those smiles on their faces. God is good all the time. Yes, He is. There is there is always mm-hmm. hope. He gets the last word, the last say. Nobody but Him get that last say. But we're gonna keep that smile going because this show is all about motivation, and inspiration. We're gonna take a short commercial break, and we're gonna come back with Dr. Morata. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this. And if you have any questions, don't be afraid to call in at 347-426-3751. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Hey, everyone. You know, let's all stop what we're doing right now and take a moment. That felt good, huh? Just like that, we had a nice, special sort of moment. Together. Of course, they don't all need to be quiet moments to be special. They could be loud moments, goofy moments, sporty moments, dorky moments. Moments where we talk or walk or just hang out. It doesn't really matter. They all count. Because every time dads like us take a moment like that to spend with our kids, well, it's pretty momentous. (laughs) Sounds like somebody agrees. So let's take a moment to make a moment. Today, call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. All right, we're back with Dr. Murata, who's sharing the lessons of her own healing journey through infertility and those of the women and men she has worked with. And she's here to bring you to teach us and the practices of what she did to get through fertility. And I'm so glad to have her on my show. Yes, I am. It's a great pleasure. Um, Dr. Marotta, is there any evidence that mindfulness practices actually help improve fertility? Um, so what we know is that these mind-body 
programs, and this is the, the research that I was um, referring to, um, do tend to help fertility by like doubling the success rate from 40, 40 to 20%. But um, the book that I wrote um, is the only book that I know of that really specifically uses just mindfulness um, to, uh, to work with the issues of, of fertility. Um, and so there's no specific research um, on, on um, mindfulness uh, for fertility. Now, mindfulness does come under mind-body practices, and so a lot of these programs embed a, a bit of mindfulness uh, in them. One, one of the things that we did was, um, since the program that I put together has been going for around eight years or so, for uh, a couple of years we did look at at um, how people were faring in terms of their levels of depression and, and anxiety and uh, mindfulness, and uh, we... Uh, we found that definitely people were in general in the depressed uh, uh, range um, and very anxious. And after the program was over, the depression and anxiety lowered significantly and the mindfulness um, raised significantly. Um, and actually, we looked at that for about eight years, and that's just held consistently. But for about two years, we're looking at uh, uh, pregnancy rate and um now, this was an, you know, just an informal study. We never published it or anything. We don't have a control group. Uh, but for a couple of years, uh, we were also looking at about a double, uh, something like uh, 45% uh, pregnancy rate for people. Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say pregnancy. So six months post uh, uh, ending the program, people were either pregnant uh, that could have been with donor egg or donor sperm or with their own uh, uh, eggs. Uh, they could have um, pursued surrogacy and then, um, you know, matched and got, uh, the surrogate was pregnant or matched with a, a, a birth parent, a birth mother. Um, and so when, one way or another, they were, you know, pregnant either themselves or their surrogate or, or um uh, birth parent was was pregnant, and so yeah, we we our study was consistent with these very high quality studies that you know have control groups and everything. So that's uh, sorry. I mean, I do feel that that um, uh, one of the things that 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 is very helpful is that when our program is over, and I think this is you know this is fairly common with a lot of programs, but when uh, the, the, the women in the program are and uh, men are in the program are encouraged to continue meeting on their own even after the eight weeks is, is over. And so there is a kind of support and encouragement that people are giving to one another. And then if you see, you know, someone in your group pursuing adoption, that might encourage you to think that, you know, maybe I could do that too. My husband and I were in a support group and uh, so I'm going back many, many years ago. And when our group was over, uh, we continued um, on our own for two and a half years um, as a group. Mm-hmm. And all of the children are now around the same year, uh, age. They're all about a year's uh, within uh, age of each other. And um, we have children in our group from every single child building weight that's possible. 
And I know for a fact that we all really helped one another to open up our perspective of, you know, what would be a way of bringing a child into our life. Right. Now, with your with your experience, what is probably one one of your favorite things about working directly with your patients? Um, what's one of my favorite things? Uh, yes, now working working with your patient directly. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, I I you know I I would say just the openness and the the sharing of their vulnerability and, um, you know, really being present with how yes. hard this is and, and um, not, not minimizing it and, you know, really seeing it as this crisis, you know, for, for, for uh, because it is a crisis, but, I mean, one of the things that I always say is that, you know, that there's this Chinese uh, term and it's crisis is opportunity. It's it's then that moment, you know, where it all kind of tr- starts transforming. And so the crisis, crisis of infertility can become the opportunity. And I've seen a lot of people um, strengthen their relationship. You know, the relationships have been just so threatened and now the couple's really working together and you know just making these changes that that wouldn't have otherwise happened um becoming assertive more assertive with people and saying you know what it is that that they need in terms of support um so uh you know it's that transformation that i think is really is really wonderful but it all starts with just opening up and acknowledging how painful it is. Right. Making that connection to getting to know them well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, a little holistic, most people love to practice holistic. Um, is there a holistic approach to fertility? Yeah. So, you know, basically, like, the holistic approach is that hmm, – you're adding self-care. So okay. like the medical model is, is you know, it's, um, it's, it's drugs or pharmaceuticals, it's surgeries and procedures, and that which, it's really important to not just go to the doctor and have the, you know, and, and have these procedures and the medicine be what it's all about. You have to put yourself into it you have to you have to also you know look at your you know how you're feeding yourself you know your diet and and that you're getting enough rest and relaxation um and that um uh you're you know you're 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 also doing what you can in terms of you know maybe you might um feel that acupuncture uh, might be helpful. A lot of the people that I work with also um, see an acupuncturist or, you know, the acupuncturist um, might work with them in, you know, in, in different ways to kind of help balance uh, hormones. Um, 
they're you know also holistically is looking at um, uh, vitamins but it's basically what you can do for yourself and you know I think not only with with infertility it's you know just all for all health whenever you go to the doctor it's not just what the doctor could do for you it's what also you could do for yourself so that that's the holistic that's the holistic approach right now i think it's going to probably as far as speaking on ooh, bless me. Ah, as far as speaking on medicine and everything what advancements in fertility medicine do you see in the near future what's um, could could you say that again Takisha? yes yes ma'am i can what advancements in fertility medicine do you see in the near future? Oh, the advancements, yeah. Oh, my gosh, there's so many. So um, just to say a little bit first about the past. So part of the reason why I went through so much is that, like, the and, again, my daughter's 23, so this started, you know, almost 30 years ago. So just even yeah. the evaluation for, for infertility wasn't anywhere where it is today. Like, I didn't get my FSH checked. So, in other words, it's just a simple blood test that tells you how close you are to to, to menopause, basically. And um, so, uh, they didn't, they, I, I didn't get that blood work done until I had lost three pregnancies. Um, and now wow. that's the first... Yeah, uh, so this is two and a half years later. Um, and uh, that's the first thing that, they, that they'll do, even not only in a fertility clinic, but in OBGYN. If you're, you know, and, and just for anyone listening, if you have any concerns about your fertility, you could always just ask for this blood test. It's the FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, or uh, AMH um, is a newer uh, test. But they basically yeah. both look at your hormones and see kind of where you're at hormonally, you know, kind of on the fertility spectrum. So, um, and then, I, you know, I, I think part of what was going on for me is that I, I had an undiagnosed thyroid issue. Um, I turned out uh, after my daughter was born, uh, I think maybe she was four years old or so, that I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is a autoimmune um, disorder and it takes a second level thyroid test so I only had the first level thyroid test back in those days um, that was just the kind of the standard and now um, what we know is that thyroid is very implicated in miscarriage uh, so you know it's very possible that 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 the miscarriages were due to my thyroid um, so, I mean, I do want to say that just the evaluation is so much better today than it was in those days. When we did donor IVF, so in other words, we um, had the eggs of donor, the success rate for donor IVF was 30%. That was the, the best. Uh, uh, but the frozen success rate, so what happens is that you have these eggs and then they're fertilized uh, with, with sperm. And then uh, you transfer the, uh, nowadays you just transfer one embryo and then everything else automatically gets frozen. So if that one embryo doesn't work with the transfer, 
then you have the other frozen embryos as as your chances. Well, um, and today the frozen embryo transfer rate is is equal to the fresh embryo transfer rate. Well, in those days, it was 5% success rate with a frozen embryo. So it was oh, hardly even worth transferring them. So anyway, that's just, you know, and, and now we also have, so so just tremendous advances in IVF with the success rate and donor IVF. Um, and uh, and now what we have um, is, um, is egg harvesting. And so, uh, you know, this is really becoming kind of a, a, a wave here. So, uh, you know, I live in Silicon Valley. You know, it's Google and Facebook and, you know, all these high-tech uh, companies. And some of them offer um, free uh, egg harvesting um, in, for in insurance so they can, women can have three cycles uh, of IVF to um, retrieve their eggs and then have them frozen so that uh, they, you know, won't find themselves when they're ready to get pregnant that they're not able to um, so that they're, they have these eggs from being in their late 20s or maybe early 30s. And what we know is that fertility starts kind of waning in the mid-30s, around 35 or so, and then really kind of dives in when in, in the 40s and so kind of at 40 and so um, uh, a lot of women are waiting to have children or getting pregnant uh, later because um, women are, are are working and just that whole career path has really impacted uh, fertility for for many many women and so um, egg freezing is happening now but you can really see that that's something that is Im- impacting the future and will continue more and more. Yes, that's here. Hope after loss. And I mean, despite all what you go through, you have to decide how to figure out a solution, get your life back on track. Um, and as as you stated, there are ways to have a healthy pregnancy. There are other women out who are experiencing that. So you're not alone. That's why I do these shows so you know there's information, there's all types of ways to do things, and you've got to keep that faith, that hope, most definitely, I said faith, first word came out of my mouth, because without it, there's no possibility, you can't do this alone. Absolutely, and I, I want to say, one, one time I was doing yeah. a group, and someone hadn't gone, they were too afraid to go to their OBGYN, and so they 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 didn't go for like something like six or seven years because they were too too mm-hmm. afraid. So yeah, that you know if you have any any concerns, just go to your OBGYN and and don't hesitate to then go to a fertility clinic if you have any 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 thought that you might be having a fertility issue. You know it's it's better to find out sooner rather than later because there's there's more chances of, um, of 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 hope. Right, and you don't want nothing to be a oh my fault. I should have done this later. Statement. You go ahead if it's complications now. Go ahead and get those resolved. Don't wait till the last minute because it could be uh, early prevention from all of that. Um, yes, I agree with exactly. you. A lot of people wait. 
too late to the last minute, but if if you could do exactly anything, doctor, with your career in what would it be? If I could do anything differently with my career? Anything with your career Um, in the near future, what would it exactly be? Well, I mean, in many ways, this is this is why I I wrote the book. I mean, I've I'm you know I'm getting kind of close to re- retiring in the next couple of years. Um, okay. And uh, and so I mean, to me, this this book is really in many ways the culmination of the work that I've done for the last twenty years in in this in this field. And so, uh, you know, my, my what I would do differently is really putting a lot of attention into into this book and getting the word out through people having this as a as a as, as a resource because um, the the book is written as such that you don't you don't you can do it on your own. I mean, it's it's like each chapter is equivalent to a, a week in the program that I put together. Of course, you could always do it in your own time. It doesn't have to be, you know, one chapter a week. But, uh, you know, I, I guess what I'd say about doing something differently is is uh, putting more and more attention into having this resource be available for, for women so that they could have have a way of knowing how to work with their thoughts, knowing how to work with their emotions, uh, uh, looking at you know different ways of having a child, looking at how to how to work with your relationship, how to you know uh, get the support that you need from other people, and I mean I feel like a, everything I've learned is like right there, and so it's kind of getting the word out that you know here it is. Exactly, and there are. Um, I guess I wanted to ask this because there should be precautions to look out for. Um, and or to boost your fertility, doctor. What are some precautions that you that a woman should maybe take on? Maybe like as far as maintaining proper body weight, avoiding alcohol, and all that. Yeah. So uh, there is a chapter in the book on fertile lifestyle um, um, behaviors, and so uh, you know there's recommendations that. Uh, you know, in terms of diet and, and uh, what to avoid. So smoking is definitely um, has a negative impact. Um, you know, alcohol, uh, alcohol during pregnancy, you know, the baby could be born with fetal alcohol syndrome. It also, uh, you know, in terms of trying to get pregnant, can have an, uh, uh, can make it more difficult. Um, um, there's, uh, you know, just, Having a, a, a healthy diet um, is is very important, um, and exercise because you want to you know get enough exercise at the same time. It's important not to have excess uh, exercise. Uh, I mean, what we know is that like uh, women who are into like being super athletes, you know, you, you actually stop um, your cycle. Um, and so you can't get into, I, I'm talking about really like being like a marathon uh, uh, runner. Um, and, uh, and then not being around toxins. And, uh, so, 
and then, you know, potentially boosting, helping uh, fertility with, with some things like acupuncture. Again, this is uh, the stress, looking what you could do to lower stress. Uh, you mentioned body weight. Um, there is a, what's called the fertility zone. And so it's, yeah. it's um, you know, there you look at what your weight and height are and uh, what they've found is that being underweight and over, over overweight, not being in that fertility zone, can also have an impact on uh, fertility. So it's you know it's it's basically just having a healthy lifestyle, uh, diet, exercise, sleep, and um, and reducing stress. Yes, ma'am. Well, since we are almost coming to an end. If readers could take away one thing from this book, what would it be? Um, well, I I would say it's you know it's that it's that belief that if you open up to possibility to different ways of having a child, to uh, to focusing on how you're relating to the situation, not on trying to change the situation or get rid of uh, the situation, in this case, infertility, but look at how you're relating to it and work on that so that it's a journey that, uh, and this is why the book is called A Fertile Path, Guiding the Journey with Mindfulness and Compassion, that it's it's believing that you will have a child. It's being mm-hmm. able to get in that state of trust rather than fear not knowing when it's when it's going to happen or how, but it's believing that it can. And and when you okay. don't, when you don't like spend all your money on, in a way that it's just not going to work out. But you know you have to look at your your bank account, not only your finances but also your emotional reserves and your time, the time mm-hmm. factor that you you know you when when you can kind of use mindfulness to help you make wise choices so that you you don't get in the in in the way with you know with the guilt the guilt or the regret or the you know, the, the pushing in ways that where it's just not going to make a difference uh because it's just not going to happen that way that that you you can trust the process and it will unfold and that child will come to you you know, or as I said right. before, or you'll get really clear that you know that really you want a, a child-free life, and that's that also can be a very wonderful life. Right, now I agree. The change, um, as my mentor Hazik Ali Ali always tells me and others, you have to believe in order to see it. It's not about sin and believing, yeah. but believe in order to see it. It can it can happen. You know, ladies out here, even gentlemen who have a woman who may be experiencing this, get a session of counseling and education. Get all, get educated on the process of conception and pregnancy. They have wonderful um, sessions out there for you guys. As we said before, we can't say any more. Can't get enough of saying it. There's always hope. Always other options. You know, you have to think around it, but it's, it's always promising. And before I leave you, I love to give the truth of the day from my friend and former guest, Mary Ellen Siknovich. In order to fly, your ego must stay on the ground. 
keep your ego, judgment, guilt, and resistance away from your positive field of energy. Cherish your dreams and allow them to come true. A determination to never get, give up will enable you to fly through life with a joyous heart. At times, your energy levels will be low. Your body is sending signals that you need to rest and recharge. Give yourself the gift of relaxation, even if it's just two minutes during a coffee break or 30 minutes at home. Today, do not allow anyone to clip your wings. Take a break for relaxation and recharge yourself. Enjoy the day, everyone, and I hope to see you the next time. I thank you for listening on The Bright Side with Technicia. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 